listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Have you ever felt buried or paralyzed by the work that you do on a daily basis? Or have you ever been unsure of what your next move should be in order to continue to grow your business? If you answer yes to one or both these questions, this episode is going to be for you. Today, we're talking with Mike Michalowicz. He's most well known for his many books, including Clockwork and Profit First. Mike has been featured anywhere you can imagine, including major TV networks and on many podcasts, including his own, which is called Entrepreneurship Elevated. It's a lot of fun. I do recommend it. Today, I'm talking with Mike about his new book, Fix This Next. The goal of this masterclass interview is for you to walk away knowing where to focus and what move to make that will cause your business to grow faster. So get ready to take some notes. Here is my interview with my friend, Mike Michalowicz. Mike, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Alex, good to connect with you again. Yes, absolutely. Now, I have to say this, uh, Mike, aside from the Bible, I, I would say that your book, Fix This Next, is the book I've highlighted and underlined and circled the most out of any other book. Wow, that's, uh, that is an honor to be number two yeah. in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. I'll tell you what, I started, I, I started opening this book and I just was like, just blown away by how practical it is. And it. Man, I'll tell you what, it was it is a game changer for me. And I think that the audience is going to learn a lot today. So I'm like super excited about this conversation we're about to get into. Um, and if I was going to describe your book in any way, I think I'd give it three words. I'd say simple, practical, and obtainable mm. uh, are the three words I'd use to describe it. I don't. How, how do you describe this book? Uh, I, I describe it, you know, from a totally different perspective because I, I wrote it, is I really do feel this is the most important work of my life. And um, I was I was emailing my readers five years ago saying, what do you need now? trying to figure out the topic to write about. And the feedback was very clear. Um, I got emails from the same people the same day talking about different challenges. And I was like, oh my gosh, we as, as an entrepreneurial society are confused on what our biggest challenge is. So the thesis is the biggest challenge entrepreneurs face is knowing their biggest challenge. So to me, this is just, this is the essence, I think, of where entrepreneurship starts and begins. 100%. As we kind of dive into a few of the points from the book, the way that I want to kind of start off is just to begin with the end in mind. Here's the deal. But what we're going to do today is we're going to help entrepreneurs find the weakest link in their businesses and strengthen it. That's the whole idea of what we're going to jump into today. Exactly. And that's the whole idea of your book. So I'm excited to get into this with you here. You talk about the survival trap. You say the biggest problems entrepreneurs have is they don't know what their biggest problem is. Can you kind of describe this and start us off on this part of the book? Yeah. And I think this is a really cool illustration of why we stay stuck in the struggle. So uh, you can do it in your own mind or, or you can do it on a piece of paper, but there's, there's three significant steps. The first is you draw the letter A and put a circle around it. And what A represents is where we are right now in this moment in our business. And uh, with all that's going on with the economy right now, for many businesses, it's crisis. For most of us, it's always a challenge. So that's where we are today. So that's A. Step two is you draw an arrow out in any direction you choose away from A, a short distance. But what that arrow represents is the escape from crisis and challenge, the way out. But now in this step, also draw a few more arrows, maybe two or three more in different directions, uh, each one in a different direction. And what each one represents now is uh, another way out of crisis. In the final step, draw the letter B in the top left corner of that piece of paper and put a circle around it. And what B represents now is what your business actually needs from you, the vital need your business has, the, the way permanently forward. 
And what likely happened is very few of those arrows you drew pointed to B, and maybe none of them. And what I intend this to illustrate is that many of us don't consider point B where the business needs us to go. What we're simply considering is where the business is right now and what we need to do to escape it. And in some cases, we actually escape or go in a direction that's the polar opposite of where the business needs to go. This is the survival trap. And for many of us, we go from point A to a new crisis, a new point A for the next morning, and we repeat it again the next day, we're in a new crisis. So if you have that sensation of, I'm putting out a fire today and I'm putting out a fire tomorrow, I'm always putting out fires, or um, that you're, you got to carry the business on your back, or it's, it's this hustle and grind mentality, but it seems like you've been hustling and grind, grinding forever, those are all indicators you're moving from one A to the next without knowing where B is. I'd say that many of us, we we kind of wake up in that mode. I don't know if it's just like an entrepreneur thing, but I know that many days, many even years, I've woken up every day being like, okay, what what do I need to do? What fire needs to be put out? Because I, th I think that many of us, we just kind of fall into that. And, you know, you call it the survival trap because we just feel like that the, the goal is to survive and make it another day. Yeah. And, and there's this rush to the apparent. So there's so many apparent issues that can be addressed. They all seem significant. So therefore we just say, well, here's the first one that presented itself today, that client that's upset or that email that came in of someone demanding a project in the next 15 minutes. And all these things become the apparent next issue to tackle. But there can only one at one time be a singular most impactful issue. And so we just need to identify what that is. And it's actually much simpler than we think. Um, we just have to go through the business hierarchy of needs, which I explain in the book. But we just we just need to take a little pause to identify where within the needs structure of the organization is, is the current need most important. And once we identify that, then escaping crisis is very easy. You simply start drawing the arrows toward B. So you alleviate the immediate pain, but you also drive the business forward to where it needs to go. So A to B, not A to everything else, right? A to A to A to A. Exactly. You know, I think before we move on, because I do want to get into the business hierarchy of needs, but before we do that, I want to talk about how the, the survival trap has man how you've seen it manifest in other businesses. Because you've done a lot of consulting, a lot of coaching, you've seen a lot of businesses. I just want to make sure that the listeners today are able to put themselves in the shoes of someone that maybe is in this trap. Because I think many of us, we don't want to admit that we're there. Even myself, when I started reading this book, I'm like, man, thank God I'm not in this. But then the further I read, I'm like, no, I, I am still in the survival trap. Many days, that's where I'm at. Can yeah, you kind I, of like paint a picture for us? Probably the base, best case study, at least from my perspective, and it's shameful, but it was my own businesses. So, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. And it's funny when you look at a resume, like my, I, I built and sold a couple companies early on. One was a private deal and one was a Fortune 500. And, uh, it sounds like so great. Uh, and it was wonderful to sell those companies. It was wonderful to get out from under the weight of those companies, admittedly, because I built something that was growing on the sales side, but I'd never mastered profit or efficiency. So here's what happened. My first company was in computer technology integration. We were computer guys and I was setting up systems. And uh, I, I said, one day when I have this company, you know, it's just starting out. When I achieve $100,000 in revenue, I'll probably be taking home 100000 right? And I got to 100,000 in revenue and I wasn't taking home a penny. And I thought maybe it was 250 and there's still not a penny. When it was a million, I actually had debt. I had to refinance my house to cover payroll. So that wasn't the solution. That's the essence, that's the essence of the survival trap. One part's moving, it seems like it is, but the rest are getting worse. And what I didn't realize, and a lot of businesses don't, sales does not save a business. Sales does not cure everything, far from it. Sales mm -hmm. is a necessary component. It's the oxygen for a business. But there's other components that need to work in concert with it. Sales actually on its own translates to stress. 
the more sales an organization has, the more obligation it has. I, you know, I have to deliver on my promises. So when I had sold a million dollars of business one year, I now had a million dollars of obligation to deliver, to deliver on those promises. And because I hadn't developed the business to be efficient and run without me, I was the guy carrying that on my back. So the more I sold, the more I worked. It was totally opposite <laughs> of what I expected. That's one common example. It sounds scary when you say it that way. Yeah, but it was a reality. It was a reality. Yeah, you know, I think that many of us we just think more sales, more money in my pocket than the day, which which really isn't true. Yeah. Um, now, before we kind of transition out of the survival trap, I want to talk about one more thing on this. To, to get out of this, to start going from A to B, should we trust our internal compass or instinct? Like, how do we know exactly what that is? Yeah, so you got to go through an evaluation process. Empirical data matters here. So, in in our own personal survival, and this is where we get confused. Uh, there's this thing called Maslow's hierarchy of needs talks about survival of humanity and basically the different elements we have from the base of physiological needs. We need to breathe air, drink water, eat food to the highest level needs of living into life's purpose. And um, we are biologically wired into it. So we will instinctually move toward it. Like if we're talking right now, maybe it's considered self-actualization. Like what we're talking about is some intellectual stuff and I'm eating you know, a piece of food and it gets lodged in my throat, well, I'll start choking and I'll try to expel that from my throat. That's a biological response. The problem with our business and the hierarchy of needs it has is that we are not biologically connected to our business. I can't instinctually know when my business is choking, yet I think I can. So sometimes we say my business is choking when it's not. It simply needs some form of shelter or, or some other capacity. So we need to back our assumptions, our instinct with empirical data. And uh, how I did it in the book is with simple yes, no questions. You know, is, is this the case or not? Is this the case or not? And you can go through 25 questions and I don't want to belabor through all the questions, but you can go through all 25 questions and really pinpoint what your business needs. And then we have empirical data backing your assumptions. And when they, they align, that's something we need to do uh, big time. But if you simply rely on your gut, many of us will focus on the wrong thing, usually trying to sell our way out of things. Yeah, I've definitely found that to be true. I have a sales background as well. And that was my solution is when we weren't making enough profit, it was like, well, obviously, if you sell more, you'll make more money. And right, it, right. it was never true. It's never, never true. Um, and I think we'll get into that a little bit more in a little bit here. But I want to jump into your business hierarchy of needs. Can you actually just give us a broad overview? I don't want to get into those 25 questions. That's a little much for this, yeah. but at least yeah, the, yeah. The kind of the basic pillars, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And that's what they are. They're, they're basically pillars. So with, with these 25 questions, what I call the DNA of business, we can consolidate down to five levels. That's the business hierarchy of needs. Here's how they go. The base level need of all organizations is sales. And sales also includes marketing. It's, it's having a presence where customers are converting, uh, where prospects are converting over to customers and paying you money. That, that's what sales is. And uh, sales is the creation of cash. No sales, no business. You need some degree of sales. That makes your business start breathing. Uh, and if you don't have any sales, again, that, that's suffocating. But once you have an adequate degree of sales, then we look at the next level, which is profit. Profit is the creation of stability. And what I mean here is that you have a runway of time to support this business if problems present itself, that you have a degree of income supporting the owner themselves so they're living a, a life of freedom and don't feel that stress which is sadly not in many, in many cases, it's not true. The business owners are so stressed in their home life financials that that actually translates to more stress in their business. So that level is called profit. The level above that is called order. Order is the creation of efficiency, organizational efficiency, where the business can run itself. The level above that is called impact. That's the creation of transformation. That's where we're beyond now just doing transactions, but we are transforming our clients' lives in some capacity. And the highest level is legacy. Legacy is the creation of permanence. 
And uh, what's so fascinating for my research around this category is that this is when business owners started saying they realized they were never a business owner. They've always been a business steward, that they serve mm-hmm. a purpose to bring a entity, if you will, a business to life. But the business's existence is more important than their involvement. So that's the five levels. And we always look at the base first and say, is it being satisfied adequately? And if not, with a, if not with address it, if it is, we then elevate to the next level, make sure that's being satisfied adequately. So this is very similar to, you know, I'm trying to give a picture for audience here, but Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs, the business hierarchy of needs is kind of very similar structure. It's got the bottom level of sales, then profit, then order, then impact, then legacy. That's the order in which it works. I find that many people want to jump out of order because I think that just in our minds and our hearts, a lot of entrepreneurs, they immediately think impact, like how do I make an impact? And they want to jump straight to that. Do you ever find that you have to kind of bring people in and say, no, 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 you can't start there. You got to start with sales. (laughs) Have you seen that happen? Totally. So that's, that's, uh, there's two, there's two scenarios that are playing out particularly right now, right? So the recession's going through COVID virus. And I see two scenarios. One scenario is exactly what you laid out, Alex, is that people say, I have to give, I have to change the world, I have to be of service. And uh, they're ignoring the necessity for sales and profit and efficiency order. So what they're doing is they're giving themselves till it hurts. And if you give till it hurts, at some point that hurts going to kill you. And so I see these businesses, particularly right now, they're giving everything they've got and they, they've shortened the runway so much they're going out of business. And that's, that's an ultimate shame because they want to be contributors, yet they didn't consider themselves in the process and now they don't even exist anymore. So they're gone. The other extreme I see is people reverting, as we've alluded to, to sales cures everything. And they try to sell their way out of everything. They just try to maximize more and more sales. But if you consider this pyramid structure like a building structure, if you build a foundation that's massive and then you put a little tool shed of profit above it, that profit will collapse within it. One false wrong move, the entire business goes under. And and sadly, I have very uh, close experience with this. One of my closest friends had a $250 million business. And the the important variable word here is had. Um, You know, he was heralded for the size of his business, the hundreds and hundreds of employees. But Clearly, they didn't figure out or address the second level, which is profit. They made one bad move, and this is before COVID hit, but they made one bad move, and um, most businesses could recover. They couldn't. It started this downward spiral because they were playing a cash flow game with sales, and they were out of business. They they filed Chapter 11, and uh, they got wiped off the map. These things work in correlation. We have to have adequate sales to support profit. I'm not saying tons and tons of sales. We simply ask ourselves, do we have enough sales to support a degree of profit? And the second you have some sales coming in, we have to see the correlation between these two. We look at the profit level and say, now we have some sales coming in. Do we Are we able to extract profit from it? If not, we have a profit problem. We've got to resolve that. If so, we ask ourselves, is the profit adequate to support the order level above it? And there's a certain point where the only way you can keep climbing up is if the foundation is made stronger and you have to go back to the base and amplify sales at that point, amplify profit and so forth. As a thank you for listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, I'd like to invite you to join our private community for free. If you text the word community to 1-904-299-8992, I'll respond with a free invitation link. Once you join, I'll connect you with other community members and resources to help accelerate your success. Join today by texting the word community to 1-904-299-8992. Eight nine nine two. I'm looking forward to talking to you within the Creating a Brand community. And now let's get back to today's episode. 
Towards the uh, end of the book, you talked about how the business hierarchy is not necessarily a ladder to climb. It's more of a bicycle that you need to pedal. You push it through the gears and sometimes you have to jump back and forth a little bit to slow down, put on the brakes and speed back up. When you're explaining this, it kind of sounds that way a little bit more than just simply saying, okay, it's strictly sales today. And then it's strictly profit tomorrow when we got the sales down. Like you have to be bouncing around and constantly evaluating this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I studied uh, Ole Miss, Ole Miss, uh, the university and the SEC conference and uh, their application of the business hierarchy of needs. It was just fascinating. You know, here's a talk about an institution. They're, they're massive. They've been around for hundreds of years. And um, when they went through this evaluation and this was not using the business hierarchy um, as it's defined now, they had their own system, but it was very similar. And uh, what they identified was at one point they had a sales problem. Um, they had a, a decrease decreasing applications compared to their contemporaries in the SEC. And um, I don't know if you know this, but one of the primary ways that a student picks a new school is uh, by looking at the campus. And it's usually within the first five minutes, their first impression of how the campus looks is a massive determinant if they go to the school or not. So uh, the beautification of campus was critical and the uh, Mississippi State, or I'm sorry, University of Mississippi wasn't there. So uh, what Ole Miss did was they looked and they ping-ponged or bicycle-pedaled, if you will, over to the order level and noticed that they were extremely inefficient in the maintenance of their property, the 1,000-day-plus acres. So Jeff McManus, who is the head of their uh, maintenance department and the beautification of their campus, focused on building efficiencies. So they started working actually at the order level to bring efficiency to how they maintain the properties. They were able to get down... Uh, it took half the time to mow the properties after making these innovative changes that they made. As a result, they were able to spend more time now, the maintenance crew, on the beautification of the campus, which in, trigger, in turn uh, made Ole Miss one of the highest ranked campuses in the country on its beauty. And as a result, their applications went back up. So they went from sales to order, back to sales, and you move around quickly. And it doesn't matter what size organization you have. You can have an Ole Miss thousands and thousands and thousands of employees size organization, you will still have issues that present themselves at different points in different areas of the hierarchy. This is not something you climb up like a ladder and wave from the top. You you have bicycle pedals, you shift around. I think that, that was the best analogy you could have given. Because I remember when I read that, it's like when it clicked for me when I was reading that. Mm. And in this conversation, here we go. I'm ready to land it. I want to talk about fixing this next. What should we really be focused on? And the one thing I noticed throughout the book, which I, I love, this is something we were talking about before we were recording, but you have something which you call omen. And I want to get into that with you in a minute here. But it was repeated throughout the book, chapter after chapter, uh, different story after different story. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about this book is the practical application in it. I was able to see myself in multiple stories that you shared and be like, oh, wait, that that's me. Oh, and, you know, you talk about like the, the the businesses being very similar to human DNA where it's 99.9% .9 identical. Yeah. Um, and businesses are almost that identical as well. And, as, you know, at first I read them like that was the beginning of chapter two. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I started like reading through this and I started going through your omen method. I'm like, oh, man, I'm almost in all of these, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, yeah, right? I'm like, I think he's actually on to something here. But I, I know this is where we can land the conversation today to really add value for the audience. This is what they need to fix next. Can you get into what the omen method is? Yeah. So once you pinpoint the thing you need to work on, that's within the BHN, the omen is how you go about it. It's the framework. And uh, it's, it's an acronym. It stands for four elements. And I think two of the elements many people figure out, especially small business, but it's the second two that really drive it home. And most businesses fail to do this. So the O stands for objective. Like, what are we trying to achieve here? And when we evaluated the BHN, that's what we pinpointed. Maybe there's a sales challenge. It's converting prospects into clients. 
Maybe that's it. So the objective is to improve conversion. Then we go to the M in Omen, which stands for measurements. And basically, what are the analytics we're going to put in place to know that the empirical data to prove this is working? Well, we need to convert, you know, five clients a week, and each one needs to be at $10,000 of purchasing, you know, their, their purchase needs to be $10,000 or more for this to be successful. Now we have the measurements in place. The next one is what people start missing out on, and that's evaluation. Evaluation is setting up a frequency where we check in to see our progress. Many small business owners set an objective saying we need to sell more. Maybe they don't even set measurements around it. And then they simply say, well, we'll check in in the future. They don't set up a rhythm uh, to check in. And maybe weekly is the time, the frequency to check in. But for some other businesses, maybe you want to check you know, less frequently, once a month. And some businesses, maybe every second, which sounds absurd, right? You have a small business, you're like, I'm only getting five prospects a, a week, we checking every second. But if you're Amazon, uh, you better be checking every second because you're yes. getting that kind of frequency of, of uh, people visiting your site. So we have to set it appropriately for a business. The last letter N stands for nurture. And nurture is another element people miss out on. When we set the objectives, the measurements, and the evaluation frequency, it's under the current context of what we know about our business. But our perspective will change. We get more data. So what we need to do is reflect upon that. And nurture simply says, as we're evaluating, do we need to change the objectives or the measurements or the valuation frequency? And one little hint I have in there, it's usually or almost always the front line, meaning the people who are closest to the problem usually have the best solution. So Ole Miss is a great example. They made all those improvements, not because the, you know, the president of Ole Miss said, we got to change the campus and we're going to do it by doing X, Y, and Z. They went to the maintenance crew. It was the guys on the lawnmowers who identified the problems, which were actually low-hanging limbs uh, that made their, they have to kind of jog their mowers around. They, they removed low-hanging limbs off of trees, among other things, and they're able to mow much more efficiently, which brought about beautification. So the nurturing is usually a team effort, not an individual. So Omen, objective, measurement, evaluation, nurture. That's right. Uh, uh, this is this is so cool, man. I think that this was like something that really spoke to me. I sat down and started actually doing this for my business as well. Um, how would you recommend somebody to to begin implementing this? Do they just write out these words? Like, what's the most practical way for someone to get started with fixing something next by by using this this strategy here? Yeah, uh, the, the easiest way is is get that business hierarchy of needs, those five levels, up on a wall. And you know, of course, you can download it for free. I, I have it on my site. But um, the key is. If you simply are looking at the business hierarchy of needs, it will give you pause. We, whenever a consideration comes up, we're so in this action-reaction mode, right? Something happens, then we react to it. But we, we need to insert between there is contemplation. We want action, contemplation, and then reaction. And all we need to contemplate is this challenge that's presenting itself, where does it fall within the business hierarchy of needs? And is that where my current vital need is for my business? If the answer is the no, it doesn't fall with what I need right now, then it can wait or is to be pushed off or signed out. But if it is a vital need uh, and it fits in with what your business needs from you now most, that's something you need to enact upon. Get the five levels of the business hierarchy of needs up on your wall. Keep it where you can see it, then use it to consider the challenges that you're facing by asking yourself, does what I'm about to do fall within the BHN level of my current vital need? As I said from the beginning, this is simple, practical, and obtainable. So here's the deal. I want you to leave us with one last piece of wisdom as it pertains to fix this next or profit first or clockwork. You're one of the wisest people in the entrepreneurship space. And I would be, uh, it'd be a shame for me not to ask for you to share one last piece of wisdom with the audience today. 
Okay, uh, I don't know if I'm the wisest. Put you on the spot. On the spot. <laughs> on the spot. But I do. I do have a perspective. Here's what I do want to share with you. Um, your clients want you to be very profitable. Now, here's the thing: your clients will never give you those those words. Like, no, no clients ever going to say, "Hey, could you charge me more? Could, could you rip me off a little bit?" <laughs> like, they'll never say that. <laughs> but here's what clients will say: is if I go with your company, I want your undivided attention, or I want the best of your product. I don't want you distracted worrying about the next customer. And the only way for us to give the undivided attention to our customer, to not be distracted by the next opportunity, is if we have enough money coming in, if we have enough profit. Most businesses are so hand-to-mouth that we're serving one client from one hand and we're trying to grab onto other clients with the other. We can't give them our full attention. So while our clients will never say, I want you to be more profitable, they are saying they want you to be more profitable because it's the only way you can optimize your service for them. Man, that is a paradigm shift right there. That, that's so important what you just said there, because I think that many people, we assume that we want our customers to think we're not making any money. That's right. Uh, at a place of feeling maybe shame for taking something. The truth that's is right. if you know that what you're doing is really adding value and you can give more attention to that customer, that is a win for you and a win for them. That's exactly right, Alex. That's it, man. I enjoyed this conversation so much. And also I read the book. Uh, so I know you're a bit of a mixologist. I need to try one of these old fashions that oh. you're bragging about being able to make. You gotta, <laughs> you're gonna have to, we're gonna have to set up a time. I'm gonna have to find a way to make this happen. You know, I even, I even made a little video on a private YouTube channel I can send your way. I, I, yeah, I'm a little bit of a mixologist. I pick one drink, but I keep working that one drink until I master it. So for me, it was uh, Mexican mules, uh, until about six months ago. And just as I was putting the finishing touches on uh, Fix This Next, I committed myself to old fashions. And I think <laughs> I've nailed it. Um, I've nailed it too much, though. I'm enjoying them too much. So I got to find my next drink. Right. Well, congratulations on that. Congratulations on the book as well. This is one of the greatest entrepreneurship books I've ever read, Fix This Next. Thank you so much for being a guest today, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. The goal of this book is to help you find the weakest link in your business and to strengthen it. Because when you strengthen the weakest link, the entire chain becomes stronger. We hit on some high level points that Mike covers in his book, Fix This Next. I do encourage you to pick up a copy for yourself and answer the 25 questions pertaining to the business hierarchy of needs found within the book. Now this leads me to this week's call to action question. What percentage of your time is actually spent growing your business instead of being stuck in the survival trap? If you visit creatingabrand.com slash 053, you can use our very cool percentage slider to submit your answer. I'd love to read it and be able to have a conversation with you about it. Mike, thank you again for being a guest and sharing this wisdom with us today. I cannot wait to try this old fashioned that you're raving about. If it's half as good as this book, I'm in for a real treat. If you want to learn more about Mike McCallowitz and for a link to resources mentioned in this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 053. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another masterclass episode next week.